Blog Talk Radio. Namaste. You are now in the Funk Soul Cafe, a cool, hot, soulful radio show for artists, writers, and so much more, hosted by yours truly, Robert Batista. So sit back, grab a nice, warm, and soulful cup of java or chai, and listen and enjoy. What's your excuse? Blind blogger Maxwell Ivy has a way of crushing every excuse we have about almost anything. You see, most people online are too scared to do much. They come up with all sorts of excuses. Not enough time. Don't know what to do. Can't keep myself going after five posts. Yada, yada, yada. Bah. Maxwell has heard them all. Don't even try it. This is part of a blur from the website of today's guest, Maxwell Ivy. Namaste, Maxwell Ivy, and welcome to the Funk Soul Cafe. Well, hi, Robert. Thanks for having me on the show. And I, I, I really love that uh, quote you decided to use in the introduction. And I often tell people that one of the things that's a good exercise if you're feeling bad is to just go back through your the things you've done recently, say in the last six months or a year, and write your own introduction. Hey, uh, that makes a lot of sense, and that's words to live by. So, uh, Max, let's first start off by taking your Java order. We have a wonderful variety of fine espressos, cappuccinos, and lattes, and we also have herbal teas for those tea lovers. So, what's your fancy, Max? Uh, my ideal is a hazelnut latte. Um, Ooh, what although, a great choice. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the few things that I actually know what my favorite is, and I have just one. Uh, but my, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I have, st- you know, starting a couple years ago, uh, you know, because of my because of my health, I've I've started replacing at least one cup of coffee a day with tea. And I have a blend that we found in the supermarket in the, the, just the, you know, just the stuff that the store brand that's uh, green tea mixed with mango and pomegranate that I really enjoy when I'm switching from coffee to tea. 
Wow, that sounds great. And you know, Max, I did the same thing. I was a coffee drinker for decades and uh, just recently gave up the coffee and uh, feel a lot better. Um, So let me go ahead and get that order for you. And there it is. And here you go. Enjoy it, Max. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So, so good having you on the Funky Rider Show and the Funk Soul Cafe. Uh, this this show has been long in coming. Uh, I've been anticipating this show for a long time to sit down and just have a conversation with you. So, you know what? Let's start off, Max, with you giving our audience some background on your life's journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, this is the toughest question I get asked because I have to decide what to put in, what to leave out, and 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 how much to share in the time I have available. But we'll try. Um, I am a totally blind uh, business owner. I started out. I grew up in a family of carnival owners. I wanted to do nothing nothing better than to help run the business, and I got to work alongside my dad for about a decade before lung cancer uh, took him. And his death resulted in the closure of our family's traveling show. Uh, I decided that one of the things I could probably do as a living after that was over was help people sell their equipment. To do that, I started a website. I got into blogging. I was on social media, recording videos, and people were like, you know, Max, your willingness to take on the next challenge and, and just do whatever you have to do to move forward is inspiring. So we think you should share more about uh, being a blind entrepreneur, which and that's when I started the blindblogger.net. Uh, next thing I know, a woman's, a woman's encouraged me to write my first book. I've now written two books. I lost uh, 250 pounds after having gastric surgery and changing my lifestyle. Uh, I won the 2016 Amtrak Riders in Residence and went off to New York City by myself for two weeks. I'm currently working on my third book. I'm a prolific radio show and podcast guest, and I'm also an online media publicist, coaching people, showing them how they can get their message out using podcasts and other online media. So before we even get into the rest of the stuff, I'm so intrigued. Let's talk a little bit more about you growing up in a family of carnival owners. Um, What can you tell us about how that was? Well, it was uh, a lot like being in any other large family, uh, especially if it's a family that happens to own their own business, like uh, people who are, come from families that farm or ranch uh, probably have some of the same experiences. Uh, we grew up, uh, my uncle, my excuse me, my grandfather, he purchased a big piece of property outside of Houston, and he uh, built homes or gave his kids land to build their own homes. So we had uh, five brothers and sisters with all of their kids, meaning us, uh, living within a few hundred yards of each other, all of us in the same business. So we all had the same experiences and, you know, knew about what it was was like to travel during the summer or have to stay with a relative during the fall while your while your parents were finishing up the carnival season before the, before, you know, you would all be back together again. Um, I like to tell people that we would have been the Norman Rockwell family if the Norman Rockwell, the, if the if the people in his in his paintings had been in the carnival business. Wow. So you know, 
Max, one of the main themes I see immediately when I get into your and go online and go into your sites is the question, what's your excuse? And it, it, it is such a complex but yet such a simple question. Max, why is that question so important to you in your dealings with authors and people? Mainly because it seems to be so important to them. You know, it's it started out of uh, a lot of the things I do start out of what happens to me. Um, you know, becoming the blind blogger that was something people people had been calling me the blind blogger as a, as a way of online shorthand for a year before I decided to start a website and, and talk about that. Um, my other business, the Midway Marketplace, people call me Mr. Midway. Um, the no excuses thing started because people online would leave comments on my blog or they would send me an email and they would go, you know, Max, whenever I get down, whenever I start thinking this is too hard, I think about you and I go, you know, if he can do it, then what is my excuse? And that's where this whole thing came from. And it, it seems to resonate with people. And it, like you say, it's, it's very complicated, but it's only complicated because we make things complicated. Um, uh, Right. My brother hates to hear me. My, my brother hates to hear me drag this quote, this this saying out. But I use it with him all the time. Never underestimate the ability of human beings to make simple things complicated. <laughs> and oh, so you know, you're is. right. You're right. The whole the whole idea of no excuses. It is it is simple, but it is also complex because it gets into the people's individual stories, the stories they tell themselves right. or that they have been telling themselves since they were five. Exactly. Hello, Max. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I thought you were going to make a oh, point. Okay. I'm sorry. No, I, I said exactly, you know, um, but I'm really interested in your books. You said you've written a few books. I'd like to know exactly what they were about. And uh, how long did those books take you to write? Okay, the first book is Leading You Out of the Darkness into the Light, A Blind Man's Inspirational Guide to Success. It uh, has some life experiences, the lessons I learned from them. There's 11 actionable exercises in there, along with my email address, so that they have at least one person that they can report on their progress to. They can, they can, uh, they can cry a little if they need to, but uh, I know that they know there's at least one person that will listen, understand, or at least try to understand. That's the first book. The second uh, the second one is It's Not the Cookie, It's the Bag, an easy-to-follow guide to weight loss success. And, <laughs> that's, and that's basically the things that I had to learn before, during, and after having gastric surgery so that I would be successful and be able to keep the weight off once I lost it because gastric surgery is just, is just another tool, and it still requires people to change a lot of their lifestyle if they're going to have it work long term. So that's the 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 first book uh, I started writing on a dare because a, a woman invited me to be part of a summit and she said I had to have a book or some so, something to give away. So uh, I have to thank Eve Koivula. She she dared me to write the book and. A few weeks after I started writing it, the summit fell through, but, you know, she had stirred something up, and I kept writing it. And writing the book didn't take a long time. The part that took the longest time was getting the courage to send it off to my editor and then get it published. Because I know for a fact I had it sitting on my laptop for over a month, before, and I kept showing it to people. I kept sending it to friends and going, what do you think about this? Is it is it any good? And Finally, a friend of mine out in California who's a coach, uh, her name is Kelly Jackson, and she 
She said, Max, I know who your editor is because you've mentioned her in, her in a couple of your blog posts. Uh, that's Lorraine Regulie at wordingwell.com, who, if she hasn't been a guest on your show, I imagine she will be sooner or later. She's got a new book coming out in February or March. Um, she said, I know who your editor is because you've mentioned her on your website and your blog posts. So if you don't send it to her, I'm going to send it to her for you. And that was what finally got me over the hump and finally got me to the point where I was able to tell my gremlins, okay, maybe it isn't good enough, but it isn't going to get any better with me continuing to think about it and worry about it. So I sent it off and we ended up getting it published. Uh, I started writing it in August. It was actually available on Amazon in January, but it could have been available for people. It could have been available for people at least two months sooner if I just hadn't been making my own excuses. Uh, the second book, It's Not the Cookie, It's the Bag. I was I was working on love my memoir, as you know, just about. Oh, yeah, I love, it. I love the title, too. I have to thank um, my friend Alex Okorji for giving it to me. Um, but I was working on a, I was working on my memoir. And as you know, doing this show, just about everybody's got a, a life story in them. And of course. it was it was all it was all tangled up like a big ball of yarn. I was like, I don't really want to mess with this right this minute. And I was, was listening to all the TV commercials during the holidays of, uh, for, you know, for weight loss, for fitness, for diets, uh, for diet systems. And I thought, you know, with all that I've learned over the last couple of years, I could write just as good a book as anybody else did. And I started writing the book and I swear within a couple of weeks, I had finished the writing, it, you know, the editing and the formatting and getting time with your editor to get it sub- submitted to where it's available for sale takes a little while. Uh, but, and I hope nobody out there hates me because both of these books really, really the writing wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part was the editing and just getting out of my own way and, and finishing the process and getting the books out there in the world. And, you know, the once you get them out there and people start to buy them, they start to leave reviews, then you're like, what the heck was I ever worried about? But the one thing I want to get to in this 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 story here is I'm, I'm working on my third book, which is about my, my experience winning the Amtrak Rider-in-Residence and, and heading off to New York by myself as a blind person with, with really nobody going with me and no help on the other end. Um, right. I can guarantee you, that when I finish write, I've, when I finish writing this book, well, I've I've finished the writing, but I've got to I've got to do my part of the editing. I guarantee you, when I when I finish my part of this editing, I'm going to have the same conversation with myself again because I'm convinced one of the biggest myths that really keeps people from from writing books or recording albums, one of the biggest myths out there is that it that uh, the that the more that once you've done it a few times, you're no longer nervous, that you're no longer scared. And that's just a little crap. (laughs) (laughs) If you ever get to the point where you press, if you ever get to the point where you press publish and you aren't scared, then the odds are it's a bad book. (laughs) You're right. I mean, we, we hesitate like how long, before we hit that publish, I mean, you know, should we, shouldn't we, should we re-edit, should we go over it one more time, you know, exactly, but like you said, you just got to click that publish, and just, you know, uh, so be it, but speaking of publishing, Max, um, you know, the publishing field is in a state of flux, I mean, mainstream publishing is basically, it's still there, but it's not as powerful 
as it used to be. There's so many authors that are publishing their books. They're doing it independent. They're doing it. They're self-publishing. And as you said, formatting and everything and doing all that themselves. But sometimes, Max, the books that they format and publish aren't that good. Uh, Have you noticed that? I've noticed that not only are some of their bo- some of the books not that good, but it seems to me like the people that are prolific that you can publish a bunch of bad books and get real and be be highly rewarded financially for multiple bad books, and then you compare that to people who you know put their heart and soul and actually bleed onto the pages. And they hear crickets chirping. You know, they sell one copy and they're like, why did I even try? And it's, <laughs> yeah, I it is, can it is to that. and it is, yeah, it is, it is so, you know, it is so crazy that the, but you're right, the, the whole industry has changed. We used to, you know, used to you had to get a publisher. Now you have publishers, you have uh, vanity presses, and you have self publishing. And, even you know lately now we're starting to see publishers actually going and purchasing self-published books and republishing them under their brands and right. another thing that i've noticed another thing that i've noticed is it looks like a lot of or a few of the the you know name authors are starting to adjust the size of their book to the pressure that's coming from the online self-publishing marketplace and the one guy who who just jumps to mind right away is uh, james patterson because as you know, over the okay. summer, he started his new thing where all of his books are going to be 150 pages or less. Okay. You know, so he, and what you know, do you, the, what the do you pressure think about that, Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it just it just shows how uh, how much influence the self-publishing people are having because it appears that the that the readers are telling us they want shorter books. They would rather read. Two or three medium-length books, as as opposed to one book the size that Stephen King or Tom Clancy used to put out. And would you say it's so, due to some how now in the, in current times the lack of uh, long attention span? I mean, you look at War and Peace, and as you said, Stephen King and so many others, they had eight hundred page books, one thousand page books. You know, you don't see that anymore. And now you say that James Patterson just said. 150 or less so could it be the state of the times with the texting and and you know the social media and everything is at lightning speed you know fast food generation could it be that yeah i think it definitely could be that i also think this could be the backlash from one of the one of the one of the big uh i guess you'd call it a mistake in the publishing industry i don't know if you remember this but about 20 years or so ago paper got a lot cheaper the publishing uh, costs went down significantly in a short period of time, and editors and publishers basically took the, the the leashes off of a lot of their authors, and you know stopped <clears throat> stopped uh, forcing them to strict to strict page counts. You know, so uh, you know in the the early '80s, you know, you started to see these these you know big books from a lot of of authors, but. Uh, so I wonder if this is just a, you know the natural progression of things. I I do think that with all the people reading books on their smartphones, uh, their their Kindles and all these other devices, that that probably does put a little pressure on on length. And uh, and yeah, the society is just so fast paced. People have so many electronic devices and 
so many voices yammering for their attention. And that's not just something the blind guy is saying, because whether you can see your phone or not, it seems like there's just so many people who want your time and your attention. And most people have multiple devices and multiple apps. And so it's, it's a lot of pressure, a lot of information. And you just really only have so much attention and so much energy. So, yeah, I definitely think it is part of the times we're living in, but I think it's also part of a backlash against the freedom that a lot of authors had in the in the mid mid to late 80s where they basically could could write to their heart's content and not have to not have to get their shears out and print their words back. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. You know, another thing, Max, that I am so intrigued about of your life was your New York City trip, which you mentioned uh, earlier. Um, you said you went to New York City, and the reason why is because you won an award, I believe you said, and uh, you went by yourself, and that must have been, and I'm originally from New York. I am originally from New York City, so, you know, I can just see you walking around New York City, man, hanging out. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about that trip. Yeah, well, the first thing I want to say is that it could have been it could have been the holidays, or it could be this way all year round. But in my opinion, the I have nothing good, nothing but good to say about New York and New Yorkers. Uh, the entire time I was there, I was very impressed by the level of friendliness, helpfulness, supportive people. Uh, just as a few examples, while I was there, a cabbie tried to give me his umbrella. Um, a couple of guys from England paid for me to get on a pedal cab when we couldn't find a taxi for me outside of Rockefeller Center. Um, you know, it just seemed like every time I turned around, somebody was trying to do something nice for me. Uh, when I went to Katz's Deli, they didn't make me wait in the lines. So sometimes, <laughs> it's, good to, sometimes it's good to have that white Man, cane. Do you, you know, know how some, hard that is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I felt bad about it when I was standing out on the sidewalk hearing the hearing these people waiting in eight different lines and all of them waiting out to the outside <laughs> of the building in in thirty something degree weather. So I felt bad about it afterwards, but I'm like, you know, this is pretty good. Um and you know, so people have asked me, you know, Max, do you think you would get as as much uh, as much help or as much reaction as you do if you weren't blind? And I'm like, well, let's see. I'm six foot four, about 270. I'm from Texas, so I got the accent. So even if I didn't have the cane, I would still probably get people's attention. And as I like to tell people, you can do it. As, as I like to tell people, you can do a lot with a smile and asking nicely. So, Max, let's talk about what I call the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that is marketing. So many authors spend so much time writing and publishing their book but have no clue on how and what it entails to market it. How do you handle the publicizing and marketing of your books? Right. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. One of the things that shocked me about the Amtrak writer thing is when I read the uh, bios of the other winners was their lack of social media presence. I was just floored. Wow. By, I mean, you know, because the first thing you have to remember is these other people that won, a lot of them have won other awards. A lot of them have published more than me. Um, I used to, I told my brother, I said, you know, I started reading these bios and I was actually humming the song from Sesame Street in my head. Uh, which one of these is not like the others? And I was thinking, you know, 
And then I started thinking, well, you know, these other people were probably thinking, hey, the blind guy is, is more impressive than we are. But the point was, I'm reading these people's bios, and they are well-established, successful people, and they'll have 300 Twitter followers, or they'll have uh, less than 500 likes on their Facebook page. And I was like, you know, how do you how do you sell your product if you have no platform? And so uh, I'm very active on social media, as you know. Um, I'm pretty much all over the big five, which um, I'm just now starting to, to get to where I use Instagram a little, but not so much. But, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, G plus and YouTube. So I have a presence on the, on the major ones, but the thing I do most is what I'm doing right now. I have conversations with people like you, I, you know, I, I connect with, with great people who have shows and I talk about my story and my books. And, you know, this to me is one of the best investments of my time because we have an intimate, an intimate conversation. We can sit here and talk uh, whatever we want to talk about for 30 minutes or an hour or two hours, depending on the show. Uh, we don't know how many people are listening, but because of the archive option, whatever I say today is available for people to listen to next week, next month, next year, as your audience continues to grow. So to me, I love doing these conversations. I have, I have more energy after I, after I do an interview. And if it wasn't for having to write blog posts and do social media promotion for each show I go on, I could do these all day. You know, I could be like one of those people that you that they make fun of in the old sitcoms about they're sitting in a room doing 12 interviews a day with TV affiliates all across the country. I could do that if it wasn't for the fact right. that I feel like if you if you do a show, you have an obligation to show your to show you appreciate being on the show by promoting it. So And the interesting you thing know, is, is I've had a mm-hmm. I've had a lot of all uh, Go I've on, had sir. a lot of other authors and creative people who have asked me how I do this. So apparently me doing it is that, you know, it's working for me and I think it would work for most other authors. And I think they would enjoy it more than some of the other more traditional ways of promoting their work. Yeah. And that's amazing. I've talked to some authors who are just, they just rather have their teeth pulled than go out and promote themselves <laughs> and, and even go out and be on radio shows like this. So you're a hundred percent right, Max. Hey, this is easy. I'm sitting here, kicked back on my bed with the air conditioner running, and I've got a great cup of coffee. I mean, what is hard about this? What is hard, man? And if and if if they don't if they don't want if they don't want to put in the time to to you know to do the pitches and find the shows, then hire somebody to do it. That's 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 what I do. Some of the you know, uh, as you know, because I've I've sent a, I've sent a few of my clients to to share about their books on your show, but yeah, what is hard yes, about have. this, man? We, I mean, you know, uh, the only thing that would be easier than this would be if we if uh, you know if we had teleportation or something and we could hang out in a coffee shop in person <laughs> and do this. That's the only thing that would make this better. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Max, uh, you know what? It's been said that we are the sum of our experiences. So how have your experiences helped you in becoming the writer and the person you are today? Well, that was a real easy question because I honestly believe it's people like my grandmother, Mary Wagner, my dad, Max Ivey Sr., uh, people that I, in my family that I've been around 
you know, I, I grew up in a family of, of people who, who had to find ways to get things done. As, as I like to tell people, they don't award any style points in the carnival business. All people care about is do you get open and it, can they buy a funnel cake or ride the Ferris wheel on Thursday night? So you focus more on divs. Uh, you're always thinking about next week and next month and next year. And uh, my good friend, David Wraith, uh, who does a show called Join Up Dots, he said, the more I think about what you used to do as a carnival owner, the more I think that you've experienced in your life what amounts to a PhD program in hustle and muscle. And that's one of those lines <laughs> that stuck with me because, you know, until he said it that way, I'm like, you know, I just, I was just a guy trying to, trying to get to next week. But, you know, you think about some of the stuff that you did or were willing to do in order to get to next week. And I think that's definitely has a lot to do with my success as a blogger, as a, as an author, as anything that I decide to do is because, you know, once you, uh, once you spend your, your life trying to figure out how you're going to get from point A to point B 40, 40 or 50 weeks out of the year, knowing that you're going to have all the resources, talents that you want to get there. I mean, uh, a lot of times we, we would just, uh, Tom Clancy has a phrase that he uses in his in his op center books. It's called "Look at it crazy." We a lot of times we looked at stuff crazy before we knew what that was, you know. And I think that that really <laughs> helps me now. It really helps me now. I mean, you know, when I started my first website and had to, and didn't have the first clue how I was going to build or maintain a website, and you know, I just I kept asking questions. I kept asking for help till I found the W3C.org school. And then I started doing their tutorials one at a time until now I'm a pretty decent uh, webmaster. I don't, I don't hand code my site anymore. I use WordPress, thank God. But, you know, that's the kind of person I am. And I think it definitely comes from the way I was raised and the people I was raised around. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about your coaching uh, let's let's talk about the coaching. Um, what services do you offer, and uh, how is that working out for you? Right. Well, I've, uh, you know, you know, one of the things in life is is often what you think you want to do doesn't turn out to be what people need you to do. And the one thing that I started out doing is coaching was you know life goals coaching because I feel like I can help people get clear on their on their goal and focus on what they really want as opposed to what they were taught to want or what they see in media as things that they're supposed to want, uh, define, determine the steps and then help keep them motivated and hold them accountable along the way. That's what I started out doing. That's one of, that's what I, what I want to do. Uh, however, the thing that people want me to do is they want me to coach on, uh, on using online media, uh, guest posts, roundup posts, news articles, podcasts, and radio shows. And in that area, it's a matter of helping people get clear on their story, uh, then the, determining which shows would be ideal for them, and then crafting a pitch letter, letter you know, building your, your media kit page, having a place where people can see your past interviews and other online uh, appearances, and going from there. And like I say, it's I'm starting to believe that I'm going to end up being a better promoter of coaches than a coach. And that's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it's really not a surprise if you think about it. Because I come from carnival people. I come from circus people. Uh, 
you know, I, I come from a dad who raised me up telling me, Max, if 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 there's one can say about you, if they can call you a showman, that's a good thing because a showman's the nicest word you can use about somebody that comes from my family's business. Is it's it's like the it's like the it's the equivalent of the word gentleman or lady, showman or showwoman. So, you know, I've got I like I recently joked with somebody that I've probably got you know blood from people like uh, uh, Barnum or Colonel Parker or uh, who knows maybe even Justin Timberlake. He's a hell of a promoter, you know. So the fact that it turns out that I'm probably going to end up being a better promoter. Of coaches than a coach myself is not a bad thing. Speaking of that, um, and speaking of PT Barnum and the like, um, what do you think of what recently happened when the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus just said it's closing up its tents? What do you think about that? I'm not surprised. I think they finally got tired of battling with PETA, with city and uh, county governmental bodies, with uh, the the federal legislation, the regu- regulations the feds have on uh, on wild animals and exotic animals in general. And elephants, uh, that plus, yeah. And elephants specifically. That plus the, the difficulties of travel. But you know what the real reason behind the closing of the Ringling Brothers operation is? They have other op- they have other they have other income streams. So that same corporation oh, okay. operates se- that same corporation operates Broadway shows. They operate uh, traveling things like uh, monster truck ex- exhibitions, like uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. Not specifically those ty- though I can't say specifically they operate the Harlem Globetrotters. But what I'm saying is they have stage shows and interactive shows traveling all over the world that don't have the same aggravation that goes along with running a circus. That's the main reason, right, in my right. opinion. I'm not I'm not a board member. I'm not a stockholder. I can't tell you why they closed the circus for 100% certain. But my opinion would be, uh, if you have multiple income streams, why keep beating your head against the wall with, with one that has, uh, you know, a very, a relatively small return on investment, when you've got these other options with less headaches and more income. Yeah, you're right. It makes a lot of sense. It's just a little sad. You know, I remember going to the circus as a, as a child and then taking my children later on. And, uh, you know, they were in, in the business for over a hundred years. So it's, you know, it, it is uh, the end of an era. So I'm going to ask you. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's sad that Ringling Brothers is getting out, but it's sad that Ringling Brothers is closing, but you still have the Big Apple Circus in New York City. You still have uh, Carson and Barnes Circuses. You still have Vargas. You know, there's there's always going to be circuses in this country. And if, if Ringling Brothers leaves the marketplace, you may see circuses from other parts of the world start to tour here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, that opens up uh, uh, options for others. You're right. So uh, in closing... Uh, I have what I feel is a pertinent question. If Maxwell Ivy was just starting out in his travels, careers, and endeavors now, what would the current Maxwell Ivy, what would be the first piece of advice you would give him? I love this question because it's one that I absolutely know the answer to, and that is Max. There are so many more things you are capable of than being a carnival owner. 
You have so many more skills and abilities than you can imagine you have at this time. And the worst thing you can do for yourself is to have tunnel vision. You should really be exploring all sorts of opportunities and trying all kinds of new challenges and adventures. What a fantastic answer. So what's next for Maxwell Ivy? What new irons do you have in the fire coming up? Well, I'm going to disappoint your listeners by telling them I don't honestly know. I don't really know what the next thing for me is, but I've learned one thing, and that is never to put limits on God. So I feel like something will present itself. Uh, I would like to do some speaking, and I would like to go out on a book tour for this next book when it's finished, and I'm actively seeking sponsors and uh, venues and trying to make that happen, but that's you know, several months down the road, and it's still pretty iffy. I will definitely continue to do radio shows, and, of course, I'm hosting my own show now called What's Your Excuse? What else? Uh, where it's, you know, it's about people's <laughs> transformation and how you become the what person else? you end up being. Is Yeah, what else? How you, how you become that person you end up being is the whole point of that show, and I'm looking forward to growing that and continuing to help my, my co-host, Frederick By grow the Creative Magic Network. Uh, over at frederickby.com, B-Y-E. You know, I want to travel some more. I'm continuing to put my name out there for uh, conferences, retreats, and just waiting to see what what God in the universe has uh, to bless me with. You know, we, I think a lot of times people, uh, they don't move forward. One One of the things is, is they get their, they get it in their head what, what they want will look like when they get it instead of, and and then when they get it, if it isn't exactly the way they imagined it, they're, they're disappointed. They're let down. And so me, I try, I try to let the story tell itself. I try to let my life evolve. I try to let the opportunities come to me as much as possible. And if somebody presents a good opportunity, then I'll do it. And you know, if if I see where there's a, a place for me to put my hand up and say, hey, pick me, I will. Even if it's something that I'm at the time maybe think is a little bit outside my wheelhouse. I, I will be honest enough to admit that uh, when I found out that I won the Amtrak deal, I thought that that whole thing was bigger than I was ready for. But it turned out that it wasn't because I followed the one piece of advice that a, that a good friend of mine keeps reminding me of. And it's uh it's her name is adrian smith it's embodied in a line from star wars believe it or not um yoda told luke on dagobah there is no big or small there only is and so a lot of times when you you know you've been doing something for a while and you get that opportunity to move up to the next level that next level can be scary you know the first time a guy told me he had fifty thousand people listening to me i almost didn't do the show (laughs) (laughs) but you know but then i talked about it with my friends which is you know it's important for you to have a circle of people you can depend on to remind you when you're being right of who you are when you're being stupid so you know i got over it pretty quickly but you know that that is the case you know um somebody can be you know could have written a couple of good books and then uh, they hear from an agent that somebody wants to buy their next book. You know, that can be scary moving up to that next level. So like I say, I'm just waiting to see what the next thing is. And when it happens, I will definitely take advantage of it and reach out there and grab it. 
There is no big or little. There just is words to live by. So, Max, how do people get a hold of you, contact you, follow you? Uh, maybe they want to, your services. What's the be- best way for you to be contacted? Okay, they can go to theblindblogger.net, theblindblogger.net. They can use my email address, just ask at theblindblogger.net. I'm on Twitter at Maxwell Ivy uh, and YouTube.com slash Maxwell Ivy if they want to check out my videos, including some of me singing. And I want to I want to mention just one more thing because it has to do with an email somebody sent me last week, and that is for anybody who listens to to what I've accomplished and thinks uh, that you know that I'm a failure or that I just have I haven't done anything with my life. Be sure that you remember. Up until a few years ago, I was exactly in that same place. It's only been in the last few years. I mean, yeah, I started my midway uh, equipment selling business in 2007. But as far as all the really crazy stuff, like the writing, the blogging, the Amtrak stuff, we're talking like two and a half, three years. But it all goes back to September 2007 when I filed for my first domain name. So uh, I hope nobody hears my story and is discouraged. It all started with one small thing of filing for a domain name, even when I didn't have the first clue how to build the website that would go with it. That is so awesome. So awesome, Max. This has been the Funk Soul Cafe with me, Robert Batista. One of the easiest ways to peer into my soul is to download and read my free micro story, My Baby Has No Name, from Smashwords.com. My guest has been author, blogger, and so much more, Maxwell Ivy. And his website is The Blind Blogger. Make sure you visit and feast your mind. I will close with an ancient proverb. They thought they could bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. Thank you so much, Max, for being my guest on the Funk Soul Cafe. Good night.